I'm Jason Martin, and this is the Black Voices from Big Brown podcast. These are the untold stories of African-Americans at UPS, and I'm proud and excited to be a part of the team of executives at UPS headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia, that conceived the idea to record the stories of some of the first black folks that UPS ever hired and learn about their journey to success. In these interviews, you're going to hear firsthand the accounts of real UPS trailblazers, black people that entered the UPS world at different times and places in history, and how they prevailed in a white dominated country and company. Our current CEO, Carol B. Tomei, has said the following, no one is safe until we are all safe. And we know there's no place in any community anywhere in the world for racism, bigotry, or hate. We will not stand quietly or idly on the sidelines of this issue. This statement and this goal began with our black voices from Big Brown honorees. Listen to these voices, for they are the message. They are the foundation for the future of racial equity at not only UPS, but at companies all over the world. When asked to host this series, to introduce and provide some topical insight into black voices from Big Brown, untold stories of African-Americans at UPS, my very first question was, why me? And for the longest, I didn't have an answer. Then I sat through some of and listened to the other interviews of the honorees, and the reason hit me so hard, I almost had to package my senses up and ship them back to myself just so I could get it together. The beginning of these epic stories, all true just to let you know ahead of time, echo the beginning of my own story with UPS. There were those who would be barriers and those who would help you either get over, under, or around those barriers or just simply demolish them. And I do mean that figuratively for the most part. But for those of you listening, and I hope you choose to share this podcast series with others, I can almost without a doubt guess you're asking yourself a bigger series of why questions. Why now? Why this? Why is this important? Why should it matter? Why am I even listening to this? I hope I can answer your whys. Most important, I hope your whys change to why nots as this series progresses. For those of you who aren't UPSers, just remove UPS and insert your workplace as you envision the stories you will hear during this epic series. I assure you, the experiences you will hear about could have very well happened in any organization or corporation at one point or another, even to you. Coming from outside the world of Big Brown, Tara McClure said that she wasn't afraid to embrace the culture at UPS, but in being Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer, she knew that not being afraid wasn't enough. Listen up to this amazing executive who broke barriers and stereotypes and learned how she helped evolve the culture that is UPS. Welcome to Black Voices from Big Brown. These are the untold stories of African-Americans at UPS. Pioneers who rose above societal and corporate prejudice to achieve the highest levels of success. Terry McClure did not rise through the ranks at UPS like many of her counterparts. 
Hired from outside the company as a lawyer, she very much felt like an outsider. But her gift to UPS was her perspective. She challenged the norms and in 2006 became the first African-American senior vice president and general counsel at UPS. I'm April Nelson. On this edition of Black Voices from Big Brown, we welcome the honorable, legendary, and absolutely beautiful Terry McClure. Hello. Hi, April. Good to see you again. <laughs> Good to see you too. How's retirement? Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> you look fabulous, rested. Yes, rested. That's yeah. a big part of it. Lots of naps. <laughs> Lots of naps. <laughs> mm, well, you deserve it. You have earned it. Yes, you have. So we always kind of start these off by taking people back to the year that you began at UPS. It was 1995? That's correct. Yep. Yes. And so in the world, the Million Man March happened in 1995. Montel Jordan's This Is How We Do It, <laughs> that was a hit song. Yeah. And Terry McMillan's Waiting to Exhale Waiting to was exhale. released Good movie. in theaters. You yes, saw it. Yes, of course. And of course, climbed to the New York Times bestseller list. Yes. So it was kind of a, a significant year for us and definitely a significant year for UPS. That's correct. Tell us about it. Well, UPS had recently moved to Atlanta, had moved the corporate headquarters. And I recall um, getting a call from an attorney that I worked for saying, hey, UPS is moving their corporate headquarters here. They're trying to expand their legal department. And I think you'd be, you know, if I were 10 years younger, I'd take the job and buy a lot of stock. And so I took his advice. I interviewed. I took the job. But I didn't quite buy as much stock as I should have <laughs> because a few years later, of course, the company went public. But um, it was an interesting time because I heard later that the reason that I got that call is because a board member at UPS, a gentleman who has been my mentor for many years, Bill Brown, um, challenged the head of the legal department at that time. Uh, he, she, he said, basically, look, you're moving to Atlanta, your corporate office, your legal department should probably look a little bit more like the city that you're moving to. And uh, I think as you're hiring new attorneys, maybe you should you know, cast the net a little more broadly and um, interview some people who are diverse. And that's how I got the interview, and that's how I got the job. What did history. it mean for him to speak up like that for you? Oh, it was incredible. Bill has always been a mentor. Even to this day, I still talk to him. And he was a great person. He challenged this organization always to do the right thing. And the fact that not only he was thoughtful enough to say, hey, your corporate office needs to be reflective of the community in which you're now being coming home to, um, but he also didn't, you know, it just didn't stop with that. He, he challenged the organization across the entire organization. And uh, he always wanted UPS to be its best. And to be that, he felt like the company needed to be diverse, needed to embrace all kinds of talent, and wanted to make sure that, you know, we were doing that. So he was always a voice in the boardroom, and then ultimately with a lot of the senior legal team, not just the legal team, but across the whole company, the senior leaders, just really challenging the company to do the right thing. So you were different in that you did not grow up at Big Brown. Yep, always the outsider. <laughs> wow. Talk about that in itself. It was. It was a challenge because I came into the organization uh, as an outsider at a level that most people didn't come into the organization. And um, it was interesting. People always ask me, well, how did you, how, how were you able to be successful in this culture? Because it's a strong culture. 
And I said, the reason I think I was able to be successful was because I truly appreciated the UPS culture. Uh, the culture of integrity, hard work, um, you know, just working your, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I appreciated that sort of mentality and that culture. Um, but I also wanted to bring some different perspective to the culture. And I wasn't afraid to sort of embrace the culture, but also help move the culture, help evolve the culture, because culture is changing. It's not a stagnant thing. And so that was one of the things I felt like I was able to do was understand, appreciate, accept the culture, but also continue to help evolve the culture and allow the culture to grow to be more reflective of the times in which we were operating in. Can you share, give us sort of an inside look at what those discussions look like? Oh, wow. <laughs> Challenging. <laughs> you know, because when you're a company as successful as UPS for so many years, you, you tend to think we know how to do this. You know, we're the best at execution. Big Brown does it, you know. And it's hard to say, well, there may be a different way of doing things or there may be a different perspective. So you had to listen and you had to understand why people felt like the way that they were approaching a situation or the process that they had was the best one. But you also just want to help suggest different perspectives. And, you know, we're smart people in, at this company. We want to be successful. And I think just sometimes raising the issue and getting people to look at things in a different way or challenging their perspective on an issue is enough to sort of make people think. And sometimes it worked and sometimes, quite frankly, it didn't. But at least I was able to make the point. And um, it happened whether it was working with the HR team on HR policies and procedures or supporting the work in the legal department as we were expanding the legal department as the company became much bigger and had more complex issues. It was always, you know, it was always there, you know, the, the concept of thinking differently about the way in which we've done things. Sometimes people were embraced it and sometimes people wouldn't. So did Alan Hill help get you hired here? Alan is the one that interviewed me, yes. And Alan is the one that Bill Brown challenged with the, uh, hey, your legal department could be a little bit more diverse. And so I remember interviewing with Alan, and um, I came in for what was supposed to be just sort of an introductory interview and ended up having to call my, my employer at the time and say, hey, I'm going to be a little late because they kept asking me to interview with more people and more people. Um, you know, it was interesting coming in that way, April, because quite frankly, I'm sure there were some people who felt like I only got the job because I was uh, of diverse, an African-American, a female. and. Um, and I will fully admit that uh, I got the opportunity to interview because I was diverse and the company was trying to be intentional about diversifying the legal department. But I can assure you I would have never stayed in the position as long as I did and gotten the opportunities that I did receive to be promoted and to take on new roles and responsibilities if I didn't if I wasn't confident in what I was doing and if I didn't perform the job because, you know, UPSers you don't suffer fools here. Right. And you know people have to perform in order to be successful in this organization. Um, once I heard someone refer to you as a quiet storm. How do you <laughs> accept that? <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> I, yeah. I did a little, a little storm building uh, in the background. And not even in the background. I, I think I really pushed uh, on issues that traditionally people wouldn't speak up about. Mm -hmm. um, whether it was pants for the women, you know, I think I was one of the first female executives to wear pants in the organization. And I remember it was a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I remember uh, Leah Zapata, 
I, I wore a, a coral, funny, a coral colored suit to the management conference the first time I went, and that was a shockwave, and I didn't even realize it. But, you know, there were just little things, stockings, pants, mm -hmm. dresses, um, that uh, were just perceived for so long to just be the way that you did things. Right. And I didn't know that it wasn't the way to do things. So I didn't, I wasn't confined by the historical perceptions. Right. I was just myself. Right. And sometimes that in and of itself was enough to kind of break down barriers and to allow people to see things differently. So you're... Were you the only person of color in our legal department when you came? Yes. 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 Talk about the challenge of just that. Showing up, you're a black woman. When you walk out of your door, did you feel like you had to put on that mask? You know, April, I can't, most of my career I was the only one. In most every meeting, even until the end, unfortunately. Um, there was typically maybe one or two other people there, but most of the time I was the only female and most of the time I was the only African-American. And, and that's unfortunate. Um, I think we've done better, but it was a, still a reality that I dealt with. And yes, at UPS you had to wear a certain mask. Um, I had my corporate self and then I had my, uh, myself outside of the, the corporate office. And it's funny, I, I ran into a couple of UPSers in the uh, in the airport one time and they didn't recognize me. It was like, no, I don't dress like I normally do in the office every day of the week. You know, it was just, it's a persona you put on. It's a professional persona, but it also has a UPS kind of taint to it as well. And um, you do, you learn how to um, make people feel comfortable with the fact that you're different. Yes. Um, make people feel comfortable that they can be themselves and they don't have to be on guard, that you know how to joke and kid and you don't take things too seriously, but yet you do speak up when things need to be uh, addressed. And um, you know, you spend a lot of times reaching across the aisle and trying to develop relationships when people necessarily didn't reach back. Right. Um, and it's little things, you know, whether it's the whole the traditional lunch table rule, you know, all the different groups set at the lunch table. And uh, you sit at a lunch table and all the guys are talking sports every day. <laughs> And you either take the choice of, you know, pretending like you care who won the football game and right. you know who the, the players are, which I didn't, yeah. or you try to change the conversation. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, eventually they get the hint that, that, you know, not everybody's interested in the, the sports. You know? Right, right, right. But, um, you know, it's... Did, did it feel, I'm sure you felt lonely at times, but here, did you experience a, any period of what you would call loneliness? Oh, absolutely. Being an outsider, being a female, and being an African-American, it was, you know, it was very lonely because there were long-term UPSers who felt like I should not have gotten opportunities as quickly as I did. And there were, of course, men who felt that way, and there were non-African-Americans who felt that way. So, you know, I, I really couldn't spend a lot of time focusing on that. Sure. And I do believe that, you know, my role was to add value to the organization. Mm -hmm. And that's what I focused on, looking for ways to add value to the organization, at the same time looking for ways to help others. And um, that was, you know, when I was interviewed at the position, I remember, you know, I was the employment attorney. I was being hired as the employment attorney. And one of the questions was, how do you as an African-American feel you can, you know, defend the company in, you know, discrimination suits? And my response was then, and it pretty much was throughout my career, look, my hope, my goal is to help the company avoid discrimination suits yes. and to change policies and procedures and to change the way in which they do things so that they don't have 
discrimination suits. And that's really how I, I viewed my role, is trying to help the organization see when it might not be acting in the best interests of all its employees and when we needed to change the way we did things. Yeah. So you end up in Florida in an operation for a period. What was the purpose of that? And when you came out, do you think you had a little street cred? <laughs> <laughs> you know, at one point I had been promoted in the legal department and, and Joe Madero at the time came to me, I remember clearly as yesterday, he said, you know, we, we like you, you're doing well in the organization, but if you really want to have the opportunity to go farther, you have to get out and get operational experience. And uh, it's a big step, I'm not going to hold a job for you, um, you know, you have to go out there and make it on your own and then we'll see, I'm not going to make any promises to you. But, you know, you really have to have that operational experience for people to have, you know, for you to have credibility and for people to, to feel like you um, are really a UPSer. Mm -hmm. And um, so I spent a lot of time talking with my husband about it and talk with Cal Darden and ultimately we decided to, you know, make that relocation and make that move. And, you know, it was a, a daunting experience. Um, I tell you, I went into the, the district manager's office, and the district manager before me, who will not be named, um, had cleared out every single piece of paper in the office. What? There wasn't a file, there wasn't a customer list, there wasn't a morning report, there wasn't an employee file. He was so afraid that a lawyer was coming after him, and uh, certainly not interested in helping my career that uh, he literally cleaned every sheet of paper out of the office. I'm literally going through drawers saying, you know, what do I have here? Right. There were no reports, no, nothing. And so, you know, that was sort of uh, my exposure to the operation. There were some who were very helpful and would call and would allow me to ask questions and would give me guidance and direction. Um, but there were a lot that really just kind of threw you out there and it was sink or swim. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it was a tremendous experience for me. Uh, you know, it was probably one of the best jobs I ever had in this company. And, you know, to really be at the front line to understand, you know, the pennies that, you know, that uh, of our cost structure, as, as opposed to in corporate office, you're usually looking at the millions and the hundreds of millions. Um, but when you're in the front line, you're worried about the pennies. Yes. And, um, and so it was, it was just a very different experience. It was the partnerships that were built, the camaraderie that's built when you're fighting the good fight and, you know, going through peak and dealing with issues and dealing with deaths of employees or just whatever the crisis was. You really, you know, you build a partnership and you build a friendships with people that um, are never forgotten. And, um, you know, that's the good part of UPS, you know, that I will always respect UPSers. They're hardworking people, they care about the company, they care about each other. And uh, despite, you know, challenges you may face, in the end, uh, you, you can count on a UPSer. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was what was really special about experiencing that operational um, assignment. You were part of the team that started the Women's Leadership Development, yes. BRG. Tell me about that. Um, before you came, Tracy Parker um, shared that whole experience and how hungry women were for that particular uh, leadership development. Sure. In <clears throat> well, you know, it was, it was an issue that we were facing. We were having um, women leave the organization at a disproportionate rate. And we had to come up with ways to um, you know, try to address this. Um, Amy Whitley and others in the HR group 
recommended this program and, and, and really I was very supportive of it and helped drive it. And it was just really a leadership development program to say, hey, women in this organization have a different experience and they need to be able to recognize that and to say that and to feel like they're not going to be dinged because they're you know, saying, look, my experiences are different, the issues I deal with are different, and I'm not saying I don't want to advance in my career, but it would be nice to be able to talk to someone about how do you do childcare when you're, you know, working in the hub and the, you know, four o'clock in the morning, or, you know, what does it feel like to be the only woman in an operation, literally for miles around? Uh, you're the only woman, and so the women's leadership development program at that time was really developed just to give women an opportunity to share their experiences with one another. Uh, to see other women who were successful and to ask questions about how they did it, what would they recommend, uh, and then to open up the dialogue you know, to men as well, just so they could understand, yeah, it's a different experience. Mm -hmm. uh, no one's saying one is harder or any less hard, but uh, it's just, it's a different experience. And I think the most powerful thing about the whole Women's Leadership Development Program was that once we got people comfortable with having the dialogue in the workplace, and being able to recognize that it's okay to talk about these issues, you know, more men started talking about the same issues, whether it was balancing work life, you know, with children, with parents, and you know, all the other challenges that, you know, working people face. Many times the issues were the same for men and women, mm -hmm. but they definitely were unique in, in, in for women. So that led then to the broader BRGs. Once you know, we got a comfort level with saying, okay, we're not, yes, we're all brown and we're all UPSers, but as women, we might have a different experience. As African-American, we might have a slightly different experience. And it's okay, we're all not gonna join in on a class action and sue the organization. <laughs> right. You know, we really all have the same interest at heart. We want the company to be better. We want our experiences here to allow each of us to be better. And uh, that's, that's really what kind of broke the the veil open and said, okay, you know, we can support the organization through these business resource groups and it's okay for people with like interests, like background, like experience to come together and share their experiences and support one another. Talk about some of the people who have mentored you, Terry. Oh gosh, I think they've probably all been uh, on your stage at one <laughs> point in time. Um, Kim Parks was a great mentor to me in the HR group. Um, I, I just love Kim Parks. He he, he kept me on the straight and narrow, you know, <laughs> he so to speak. It. He knew how to pull my tail when I was, you know, talking too much or help me understand the dynamics of the organization, uh, you know, the people. And um, he was, I traveled with him a lot when I uh, was a labor and employment attorney supporting the HR group, and we would travel to the different districts. And I would just sit and listen to him, uh, talk about the company, talk about his experiences at the company, learn from him. You know, I, I used to, I, I teased him, I'd say, whenever we travel together, he'd show up pristine and crisp yes. and dressed to the nines, yes. 10 minutes early, and mm -hmm. I'm 10 minutes late and running, and <laughs> his nails look better than mine did, but yeah. he was a tremendous mentor for yeah. me. Jim Weinstock, when I went to the management committee, I could not have done it without Jim Weinstock. Um, Rosemary um, and uh, Yvonne, we all went to the um, management committee, to the management conference the first time together. We were elected to uh, uh, district manager level the same year. And uh, the two of them were great. I remember we were standing in the corner at the management conference just giddy with excitement because we were both had just given our first time attendee talks. And uh, Jim Weinstock walks by and said, okay, you guys first. You can't stand around and talk to each other. <laughs> 
No fun at work. No fun at work. <laughs> but um, yeah, tremendous. And there were many HR people um, that really were very, very supportive, uh, both when I was a, a labor and employment attorney, but also as I transitioned um, into the broader role as, as general counsel. Um, there were just many people throughout the organization that were very helpful. Well, part of the reason that you're being honored, um, of course, is not just because of your individual achievement at the company, but because others noticed how much your contributions affected other people, how you were able to nurture, coach, you know, train, whatever, you know, mentor other people and bring them along in the organization. Um, talk about the brotherhood and the sisterhood and why that is so critical um, for people of color to have someone, you know, like a Ken Parks to pull your tail when you're talking too much or, you know, a phone call or as Rosemary says, a look, yeah, look. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the look. Why, why was that critical um, for African-Americans here during your period? You know, I think in any organization, relationships are critical. And um, sometimes it was just hard to build the kind of relationships you needed to have to be able to trust someone, to be honest with you, hold you accountable. Uh, with people who didn't look like you, who didn't act like you. you, they were suspect of you in some instances, and they, you know, and many times they didn't even believe that you should be in the role that you were in. So it was great to have other people who had similar experiences, who knew how to manage through those experiences, who had nevertheless been successful in this organization, uh, just help guide you along, and um, you know, to, a shoulder to cry on, someone to just encourage you, uh, to help you see the bigger picture. Uh, to help you think through a situation and the way in which you approached it, and many times just to hold you accountable um, and just say, hey, you should not have handled that situation in that particular manner. So it was, it was crucial for me. Um, you know, being, an, being the only one can be draining and it can be daunting. And so sometimes you just need to be around other people who can relate to your experience and uh, let you vent and let you share uh, but then turn you around and push you right back into the fight. Um, and that's, you know, what these relationships did for me. So Carol Tomei, our first female CEO in company history, yes. has rocked this organization. What do you know about Carol Tomei that we don't? So I've had the pleasure and the benefit of observing Carol throughout her tenure on the UPS board. As uh, general counsel, I was in the room and saw how she operated and learned a lot from Carol, even you know, though she did not work at UPS, I still considered her, considered her a mentor as well. I, she was head of the um, chair of the audit committee and I'll never forget just watching how she controlled the audit committee, how she would um, report back to the organization on the outcome of the meetings. She was always precise, she was always accurate, she was always thorough. And it just impressed me how prepared she always was. Um, she was smart, one of the smartest people in the room. She suffered no fools. She called bullshit on, <laughs> but she called it, you know? And um, you couldn't get anything past Carol. Uh, she knew when she was being snowed or, you know, someone was Played. trying to sell her a bill, yeah, sell her goods. And uh, she called it out. And, um, but most importantly, I would see her not just in the UPS board room, but you see her in the Atlanta community, uh, giving back, sharing. And she was a really down-to-earth person. She shared her background, her experiences, and um, what allowed her to be successful. 
and it was just it was just great to see. So um, I'm just pleased as can be that she's taking the helm of UPS. I hope that she brings a different perspective in a very positive way to the company. And um, I, I just think that she's, um, she's great change. She has called for open conversations about race yeah. in an effort to come together, find solutions based on our values. And she said, we want to change the world with that. Where do you see UPS's place in the world during a pandemic with no playbook for anyone, uh, civil unrest, another civil rights movement of sorts, division in the White House, and we could go on and on, police <laughs> departments, you know, the suggestion of defunding. Yeah. Where is our place in all of that chaos right now? You know, UPS, an essential business. Right. We are necessary to keep the world operating right now. And you know, taking that mantle on and being out there and supporting the needs of you know, our economy and our, literally not just in the U.S., but around the world, it, it, it's just such a critical role. So you know, from a, just a very foundational standpoint, the services that we provide are crucial to keeping this economy moving. So, I mean, that's just, you know, that's the core, right? What we do matters. It matters in this world, and it matters to people. And, you know, our people should feel that they matter, and the work that they do is important, and that it matters. You know, when it comes to the, the broader societal issues, I think, you know, UPS is a leader, and it should take, the company should take a leadership role in ensuring that the things that we're doing, both within our own house, as well as you know, outside in the communities in which we serve, are supportive of right, you know, social justice, environmental concerns, things that are just simply right. And um, you know, it's hard because we're a company that supports everyone, right? We don't have a political specter, you know, a, a dynamic, or you know, we 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 don't choose, you know, what sides that we serve. We serve everyone equally. But in the same token, when you think about the opportunities we provide from an employment standpoint, we employ a lot of people. And so it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we're creating opportunities, not just on the front end, but all the way up through the organization for the people that we bring in our doors. We impact a lot of communities. We give back a lot financially in support of programs and initiatives you know, in communities. So it's incumbent upon us that we're giving back to the right organizations that are on the right side of justice, that are on the right side of some of these issues that we're facing in the world today. And I think that you know, the leadership matters at the top of the house. And um, uh, having a CEO, having senior leaders that speak out, that have a voice, that aren't silent, uh, when, things, when, when there's clearly right and wrong that needs to be addressed, um, I think is critical. And um, sometimes you just can't stand in the back and say, well, we're neutral parties, you know, we, we don't take sides on these issues. Well, some of these things that are happening now, you just have to take a side on. And our employees, our customers, and our communities expect us to do that. So I think we can't shy away from our responsibility um, to take a side and to be on the right side of some of these issues. So Terry, as an outsider, <laughs> as a woman and as an African-American woman, how do you think you've been able to bring changes to the legal arena, to your profession, and how has it changed, evolved, rather? You know, it certainly 
At first, I was always the only woman, the only African-American in many instances, and definitely the only outsider. Um, but that certainly has changed. I, I was focused on ensuring that if I was successful, then that would make create opportunities for others. And, you know, certainly pushing to have diverse talent brought in the door, whether it's, you know, helping the organization think differently about the way in which we recruit. Um, certainly changed. We have more African Americans in the legal department, more. And even, you know, as I was part of the HR team, that was one of the things we were really focused on is helping people understand that there's value in bringing talent in from outside of the organization. And that's really, the, you know, a way to diversify is by bringing talent in. And so while we, there's certainly great talent within this organization that we have to develop and create opportunities for and identify, we equally want to have a different perspective because reality is we all kind of think alike as UPSers. And when you bring that external perspective to the table, it makes a difference for the organization. So, you know, I do like to think that I was able to help the organization think differently about how we recruit, types of people that we recruit, you know, the role of women within the organization, um, being sensitive to the fact that there aren't enough minorities and African-Americans in the organization and pushing us to look farther and cast the net a little more broadly to ensure that we were identifying you know, diverse talent across the spectrum. Nikki Clifton was here the other day, on the day actually that she was named president of the UPS Foundation. Yes, and so excited. Yes, she said, I am here because of Terry McClure. Yes. That you recruited her? I did, I did. I recruited Nikki and a number of other people who I just knew would be successful in this environment and who could add value and could help me. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You really want to bring people around you that can help support you and accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. And so, yeah, bringing in good talent, Nikki's a great example of that. And I'm just so pleased with the success that she has had and the growth that she's had within the organization. And I'm really excited to see what she's going to do in the foundation. What is the greatest gift UPS has given to Terry McClure and family? Opportunity, no doubt. Um, I've had the opportunity to meet people. I've had the opportunity to travel the world. Um, I, I, I've just been exposed to so much um, through UPS and through the work that uh, I've been able to do. And certainly the stock is, you know, not a bad thing to have, a <laughs> to have given me as well, but truly the opportunity. Um, my eyes were opened by so many of the things I was able to see, uh, whether it was, you know, building computer labs in China with a public affairs group or, you know, our centennial celebration in Seattle where we're painting, you know, schools and building playgrounds. You know, this company does so much and it's just tremendous to see the impact this organization has around the world. Uh, Istanbul, China, Africa. I've been there and represented UPS in those areas. And so that was a tremendous opportunity that I will never uh, take for granted and, and, and never look back on. What is the greatest gift you think Terry McClure has given to UPS? You know, that's such a hard question. I, I gave UPS my best. <laughs> um, but more importantly, I like to think that I did convince the company that, you know, it's okay to be an outsider. <laughs> you yeah. have to start out loading I'm one packages. Of them. I'm one of them. You Thank know? you, Terry. And that, yeah. you know, diverse thought and perspective mm -hmm. adds value to this organization. And, you know, um, trying to change things on the inside is hard, 
but you know, pointing out where we needed to change. And there clearly were, whether it was with race or with you know, women or with individuals with disabilities. You know, there are policies and procedures and things that we were able to change that I hope that I helped, uh, had a hand in helping initiate for the organization. Um, I was part of the very first diversity steering committee uh, that was ever created. Uh, I helped structure that, I helped organize that, and it was a result of you know, a really bad lawsuit that this company had um, when I came in the doors. And the company responded to it, and um, hopefully we can address our own issues internally and take on the hard topics and make change what's necessary so that we don't have to rely on lawsuits and things to create that level of change. Um, and so that's what I hope that I was able to bring to the organization, a willingness and a, an identification of issues and circumstances that needed to be addressed um, before the lawsuit started to be filed. Well, we thank you, Terry. We honor you. So grateful that you are coming and gracing us with your presence. And your legacy is going to live on and on and on through this project. Well, thank you, April, for all of your leadership in this project. It's a great, it's a really good thing to do. And, um, you know, I will always value my time at UPS and the relationships that I built and um, always value what the company was able to do for me. And so whenever I can do, I'm always here to help. We will be calling. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, April. This is Black Voices from Big Brown, the untold stories of African-Americans at UPS. Black Voices from Big Brown is a production of the African-American Business Resource Group at UPS. We thank UPS for its leadership, support, and courage over the years to champion social justice and reform. Thank you for listening to Black Voices from Big Brown, the untold stories of African Americans at UPS. Visit blackvoicesfrombigbrown.com for more moving success stories. So, after listening to this interview, ask yourself, did my why get answered? Do I feel something more? Do I feel a little more enlightened? Do I feel a little more empowered? That is the message that we want you to get while listening to Black Voices from Big Brown.